While walking down the road Christmas morning I saw a reindeer With his nose all red After a week that sapped most of us emotionally And mentally The Mojo Radio Show is gearing up To re-energise your Christmas spirit And get some swagger back into your festive season Rudolph did it So for the next hour, sit back, crack the eggnog, and relax as we do the Christmas thing for you. Everybody and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Uh, nice to have you on board. Thanks for uh, choosing to tune in. This is the uh, this is the Christmas edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Getting a bit Christmassy with our with our programming, which is great. So, for those people who are tuning in for the very first time today, um, let me explain what we do here. We we like to find who we think are the best of the best in all areas of life. Um, we asked them questions about how do you essentially get your mojo working. So it's people from health, fitness, wellness, business, strategy, brand, marketing, community, sustainability. If we think they can help you to get your mojo working and they've got useful, practical tips and tools, we get on the program and have a chat. And here in the studio, driving things, he's the driving force. He is the Peter Brock of the production panel. Uh dressed appropriately in a red coat with a big white beard, Robbo. <laughs> Merry <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> Are you feeling festive, mate? I'm feeling very festive. I love this time of year. I just, I, I can't wait for Christmas Day now. It's so close, it's palpable. And, and apart from uh, us driving our little program, are mm. you uh, starting to wind down in the studio? Yeah, it's getting close, getting close. The, mm. big, the big work that I do is all out of the way, thank goodness. All the mm. agencies and stuff are now on a break, so there's a few little bits and pieces to clean up. But uh, Wednesday will be the day to kick back and put my feet up, and then Thursday to, um, to fill the stomach and sleep. <laughs> Sounds like a big bear hibernating does, does under it. the Christmas tree. <laughs> Wait the unboxing day for the cricket kids. That's right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I'm looking forward to it. I, my favourite thing of the year is that look on, on every child's face when they walk into the lounge room and see the stockings full of presents. I, I can't get enough of that. Yeah, I think it's a, uh, it's a great time of the year if we take the time to disconnect and mm. look into the face of our loved ones and uh, take the time to dream. So, um, Do yourself a favour, folks. Turn your iPhones off on Christmas Day. Yeah, in fact, I just posted something on Twitter, actually. I wrote a, uh, a story about digital rehab, mm. and I challenged people to take Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and email off their phone for the Christmas period. Delete yeah, it. Yeah, what a great idea. Mm, digital rehab. Mm. Digital rehab, yeah. I'm, I'm actually, well, I actually intend to turn my phone off because um, I've been really busy working up to this time of year and, and my kids have missed out on some time with me that's really precious to me. So I actually intend just to turn the phone off between Christmas and New Year and walk away. Good and, man. And go, good, you know what? Good, if good, I good. miss out on something, I miss out. Mate, you will. Uh, you won't miss out on anything that is any more important than being with your kids and looking mm. them in the eye and giving them lots of cuddles. That's it. And playing lots That's of it. footy and cricket and going to the drinking movies and, all that and watching stuff. the cricket. Well, hopefully the kids won't be drinking the beer. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got to say, it's a very exciting week because it's Christmas time, and you know what happens at Christmas time, Robbo? Mm. What's that? 
World Darts Championship. So oh. I'm just putting it out there. Oh, just put I, it out there. Can, can I tell my favourite dart story? I know I know we've got a busy show today, but this is my favourite story, and I've remembered this since I was about 18. I remember sitting at home at my parents' house watching the wide world of sports back then, and there was a guy, and his name is still used in dart circles, called Chucky Wilson, who was <laughs> like the, the UK darts championship. And I was watching this on Wide World of Sports and, you know, the, the commentator was there in his hushed tones and, you know, oh, and, you know, 180 and la da 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 Oh, 100! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and uh, this, this line will stick with me forever. The commentator goes, Chucky's there, you know, sh- shooting his dart, having his shot, and, and the commentator goes, ooh, and Chucky must be serious tonight. He's only drinking half pints. <laughs> <laughs> I... We are going to get into the show, but now that we've segued into darts, which wasn't, which was not in the script, because this show is very loose. What script? However, <laughs> however, you can see we put some prep into this show, folks. Yeah. I have to say to our listeners all around the world right now who are scoffing at me for getting excited, the World Darts Championship is on. Mm. My dad would get to this time of the year and generally my dad will watch anything that's sports related on Foxtel. Can't get enough of it. He will watch anything. And Mm. I walked in two Christmases ago and he's watching darts and I went, mate, there's got to be something else to watch. And he went, no, no, just uh, just watch, just take a a bit of a look. (laughs) As he took the top off another uh, crowning. And um, I am fascinated by... These guys, they can get the dart and they've got to go from 501 to zero and finish on a double. Mm. The maths they do in their mind in a split second Mm. when they need 63 to know what to get with a dart to finish on a double is extraordinary with the pressure of millions of dollars on the line and they've got these drunken idiots in a stadium. There's 5,000 of them dressed up as Smurfs (laughs) <laughs> and goodness knows what else, singing and the millions of people in the world watching. It is yeah. an extraordinary sport for handling yeah. pressure, handling your mind and seriously doing mathematics so quickly. Yeah. And these guys are not, these guys, their bodies aren't temples. Put it that way. No, no absolutely it not. Is, I love it. I absolutely, I'm... Fascinated by it, and mm-hmm. I uh, this year is going to be a cracker. So it started. Uh, we're into about day four or five now. So this mm-hmm. is uh, it's it's a cracker year. So anyway, enough about that, hey? Indeed, we need to. Uh, we should we should get whoever wins. We should get them on though. We should get them on the show just to have a chat. Well, I want to get the wizard on, who is right. the Australian champion, who's one of the best in the world. Okay. Yeah. And he looks oh, like Aussie. a wizard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and cool. uh, he, he is, last year, I think he got to the semis or the quarters. Right. He is one of the best in the world. And uh, nice. they call him the wizard. And the when you wizard. see him, you'll know why, because his mullet is plaited. <laughs> <laughs> 180. So, so Robbo, enough about darts. You can never have enough about darts. Come on. <laughs> you can never have enough about darts. I could wrap it on for hours. Anyway, um, we have got... A very cool guest on the show this week. I'm so vibed for this. This is going to be a good show. Yeah, absolutely. This guy is a genius. He is. He's a world guru. I mean, he's not the god, but he's a god. Absolutely. What's the name of Santa's reindeers? How many is there? Donna Dancer Prancer Blitzen. Blitzen? Is it Blitzen? Uh, Donna, Blitzen, Rudolph, Dasher, Dancer. (laughs) I don't know. Seven. (laughs) I don't know. Blitzen, Donna. 
That's about it. Homer. Dancer, Prancer, Donna, Blitzen, something, something, and Rudolph only when it's really foggy. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. So, Robbo, um, before I introduce the guest, I, there's, there's a little bit of a backstory to this. Okay. So, um, kids, get a cup of coffee and sit back. Um, <laughs> I was working, a number of years ago, I was working overseas and I was in Buffalo, New York um, at the Creative Problem Solving Institute doing a little job over there. Hello to my friends at WGRF over there who I do some work <laughs> for, by the way. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, nice. Um, so... I had finished my little gig and a guy walked up and said, are from Australia? Yep. Oh, you'd know Glenn Capelli. And I went, uh, no. Oh, he's fantastic. About a year later, I was in Atlanta, Georgia at the Institute of Accelerated Learning doing a job, finished doing what I was doing. Guy walks up, you're from Australia? Oh, you'd know Glenn Capelli. He is wonderful. We love Glenn's stuff. He's, oh, really? So I started hearing this name a lot and then only... Oh, a couple of years ago, I put together an event called the Day of Inspiration, which pulls together fantastic keynote speakers um, for the Tour de Cure to raise money for the fight against cancer. And I was putting a lineup together and somebody rang me and she said, you've got to get Glenn Capelli. And I went, oh, I've got to get in touch with this guy. So that's how I came to know Cap. And only last week I was in New Zealand working and the room I was working in had this big poster on the wall and it was all Glenn Capelli's work. So the reason of my long intro is to say we actually have a global expert in the house today. Which a globetrotter. A globetrotter. I'm very, very excited about. He's, he's an author, he's a songwriter, he's a muso, he's a regular on television and radio. Um, he's written a, a beautiful book, which we'll talk about later on. And if I could probably, in our terms, in the Mojo Radio Show terms, Robbo, I'd probably say he's, he's what Johnny Cash is to country and he's what the Ramones are to rock and roll. This guy is to learning. So, Glenn Capelli, mate, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Oh, gee, I, what a magnificent introduction. Uh, Johnny Cash and the Ramones may never have been together in a sentence before uh, woven in with me. But thank you very much, Gary and uh, Robbo. It's a joy to be here. Honestly, Cap, um, i got to say for us, it's, um, it really is such a treat when you contacted to say, look, let's catch up. This is, um, this is great. And I tell you, we have got so much to talk about today. The one thing I would say to anybody listening is if you're in the car, I promise you you're going to want to listen to this episode again because this is going to be chock-a-block full of gold. And if you are sitting under a tree or in a cafe or at home, do yourself a favour, pause this, grab your journal and a pen and, a pen and paper because this, this is going to be good because I know this guy's work. And um, to start us off, Cap, can you just give us a quick insight into the sort of work you are currently doing and the sorts of people you're currently doing it with? Oh, mate, it, um, trying to sum up my, uh, what I'm about is really kind of interesting. Uh, I, I love new words and um, often I'll start a presentation these days with one of my favourites and it's the word quiddity, Q-U-I-D-D, I think, I-T-Y, quiddity. And when you look up quiddity, it's a philosophical term, but it's, a, it's your essential aboutness. What are you about? You know, what's your essential aboutness? What's the essential, unique and odd thing about you? And I, I guess that's what I, my essential aboutness is that I try to help people 
be better learners and thinkers, if we can be better, smarter and wiser individually, collectively, um, as an organisation tapping into group genius, then that's a wonderful thing. So uh, um, my quiddity is is that and that's uh, being able to help people tap into them being better, smarter and wiser, being better learners and thinkers as we step our way through uh, life, which means that uh, we need a little bit of creativity in the brew as well. That's nice. Um, Cap, you talk about uh, that we could sing a rainbow, but the question is why do so many people support Collingwood? Can you give us an idea of what, that, what, what that's about? Uh, listen, I, I love um, stumbling upon learnings um, and there's a, 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 some researchers in thinking in the 1970s that coined the phrases uh, tame thinking and wicked thinking. And tame thinking is when you're working on a problem that is solvable with a single correct answer. So, um, and, and it doesn't make it an easy problem. Some of those problems can be extremely um, tough, but there is a single correct answer for them. A wicked problem is then when there is no single correct answer. There is no one cause. There's a variety of partial causes and a variety of partial solutions. And I, I believe the big, the big challenges in life are problems that are wicked that have got tame components. So you want to be good at the tame stuff. You want to be accurate. Um, And at the same time, when you've got the tame stuff solved, it hasn't solved the problem. I've been working with um, dietitians and nutritionalists and they'll go, well, here's the research on obesity. Here's the research um, and here's all the data. But all that is is the data and the research. It doesn't necessarily shift people's behaviour. So what we do with that data and how we frame it may then shift people's behaviour. So the uh, a tame problem, uh, getting back to Collingwood, it can be black and white. It's it's very black and white. It's very binary. There's it's either right or it's wrong. It's yes or it's no. When we can sing a rainbow, we've got we've got all nuances in a wicked problem. You want to get your black and white, but you want to have all the colours of the rainbow too. And you step through things in certain ways and certain shades and nuances and there's no one correct answer. It's a variety of partial solutions. You get slightly better at what you're doing and you keep moving a little bit forward sometimes, sideways other times to be able to move forward again. So we need to sing a rainbow in life. Um, it's, it's not to say that black and white shouldn't be within that uh, thinking, but it shouldn't be the only thinking we do. Some swans, some red and white, wallabies, green and gold. Yeah, a thunderbolt <laughs> from the sky. There we go. Cap, if, if there is a listener now thinking about themselves, their family or their organisation and they believe that they are in the Collingwood camp but they'd like to move more to the Rainbow camp, is there one or two suggestions that they could implement immediately to help them shift that thinking to open up the Rainbow? Uh, in 1993, I had the, the joy of being on stage in Minneapolis with um, Dr. Robert Sternberg and, and Bob's got a beautiful model of intelligence and he says, um, forget IQ, IQ matters but only a bit. And I'd concur with that. I'm about to speak at the Mensa conference. I'm a Mensa member myself. It means I'm good in an IQ test and that means that we're good at IQ tests. We're good at solving puzzles that are IQ type puzzles, but we may not be great at solving puzzles in life. So in, in the Sternberg approach to life and in the rainbow spectrum approach, 
Uh, first of all, if you are a black and white thinker and you're a good, deep black and white thinker and you travel deep with things and you, you get to single creek dance as well, honour that. Um, not a lot of people are good at that and we need it in the brew. But know that that's not the only form of thinking you need in the brew. So if you're great at analytical black and white thinking, learn to marry someone who's great at other kinds of thinking. <laughs> learn to have people in your team who are creative thinkers and practical thinkers and, and other people who are deeply emotional smart. So when Keith Sawyer said the organisation of the future runs on group genius, that's really what he's talking about. How round is your table? How good is your sharing? How diverse are the minds that you have in your team? Now, some teams come together and divide intelligence, um, uh, but group genius is coming together and multiplying intelligence, you know, having that creative, analytical, practical and emotional. So a little bit of self-awareness and a little bit of uh, loving to welcome people with different kinds of thinking as opposed to um, thinking that uh, maybe, you know, some folk don't like anyone else that thinks differently than them, but smart teams welcome that kind of thinking into the brew. So to, to me it sounds like there's two parts. So for me as an individual... I need to consciously, if I'm in the Collingwood camp, consciously say, well, that's okay, that could be the answer, but then step away and go, what else, and look for the possibilities, new inputs, mixing with other people to broaden my thinking around a particular topic or area. Then in a business sense, it sounds like it almost comes down to, if you are serious about moving into the rainbow camp, it almost becomes part of recruitment and induction and building a proper team that has the colours of the rainbow as opposed to being locked into a Collingwood camp. Is that, would that be fair? Yeah, it, it's, it's really fascinating what you're saying there, Gary, because we're working with a group at the moment and um, they, they say, listen, we employ the best and the brightest. We employ the best and the brightest. But they're having some difficulty now with innovation. They're having some difficulty with people owning errors and being able to um, uh, put their hand up and say, listen, I made a mistake here. You know, I got into Mensa um, when I was 31 years of age and, and I already knew that IQ mattered but only in a small way and there are other forms of intelligence that don't come into an IQ or, or a Mensa score, things like practical intelligence, things like emotional smartness. So if you've got a child and you say, oh, you know, Sam is really bright, he, she is really bright, and that child then takes pride in being really bright and they like the fact that mum and dad say that they're bright and teachers say that they're bright, then they don't want to appear not to be bright. So it's almost a curse. If you start um, encouraging, uh, giving people accolades for being bright, it limits them from making mistakes. It limits them from getting better. It limits them from taking the next challenge to go a step further. So for me, it's, it's praise character. You know, um, look for folk who... Uh, listen, I love the way that when you made that mistake, you put your hand up and you got stuck in and you invited the team in to be able to help and improve and, and get it right the next time round. I love the way that you persisted with this. So in an organisational sense, um, we don't want to just uh, employ people because they're bright. We want to employ people because they're bright and they've got character and they've got grit and they've got emotional smarts. Um, or if you've got somebody who's really, really good at puzzles, then have them in the brew, but know that there's uh, that puzzle thinking is only part of it. Hey, Robbo, um, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Probably. Pennant Hills Oval? Uh, definitely, yeah. Thursday nights at 6 o'clock.
So Kath, Robbo <laughs> is involved as a coach of an under-11 rugby team. Mm. And uh, after what you've just said, uh, I reckon Robbo would be worthwhile getting Cap to come down to training work with the boys. Have a bit of a chat. Uh, listen, if, if youngsters can get a hold of these messages, um, there, there's a, a wonderful educator by the name of Paul Tuff, and uh, what a great name to have, Paul Tuff. Um, but sure. uh, mm. Paul um, wrote a book called How Children Succeed, and we've been chatting the last couple of years on and off um, and it really is a, a, a book about um, about character, and and I was excited by it because he went to some of the schools that I first visited in New York in 1989, mm. and Chicago in 1989 as part of my Sir Winston Churchill Study Fellowship, and these schools were taking kids who had never been able to pass high school and were getting them to be able to pass exams, so that was exciting. But then once they'd passed the exams, they were falling in a hole. They weren't, um, they weren't being successful in life. And they realised you had to not only get kids to pass exams, but you had to get them to have the character set um, that would get them to continue to work in troubled times. It's easy to be optimistic when things are going well, but we really show up as human beings when things get a little bit tough. How do we get stuck in? How do we have that maintain our curiosity? How do we maintain an openness? How do we show true grit um, and get stuck in and give it another go and give it another go? So, yes, uh, you, whether it's a youngster and playing a game, you know, look at how they tackle the mistakes. Look at how quickly the bottom lip trembles and, oh, I'm no good. We, we watched a youngster recently who was winning a 800-metre race and then at the 600-metre mark, somebody passed them, so they stopped running. Um, yeah, so there's a conversation that needs to be taken in place. You know, where, did, where does the child learn these behaviours? Um, if we're only good when we're out in front, then, oh, gee, you know, if we, if we don't learn the lessons of what it's like to, um, to struggle with something... Um, and what we can learn from struggling can be a beautiful thing. Kat, can I put it to you while we're on the subject of kids? I, um, I've, I've long had this suspicion that we're moving towards a society where everyone's a winner, where every child who turns up to an athletics carnival gets a ribbon. Um, you know, if, if you go home from a swimming carnival without something, then, you know, you've had a terrible day. In my day, and I'm sure in yours, if, unless you came first, second or third, you went home knowing, well, I've got to do better next time. Whereas these days, everyone wins a prize. Do you think that there's something in the school system? Because, you know, we talk about um, them, them learning the black or white, the maths and all that sort of stuff, but we, we're not really teaching them anymore about the reality of the outside world. Do you think there's a, there's a space in there for education to, to open up some more of this sort of stuff? Oh, definitely. And um, um, I think it was hot chocolate, wasn't everyone? And so winner baby, yes. that's for sure. Um, yeah. We could blame them. Because uh, yeah. hot chocolate's <laughs> bad for you, ultimately, if you only have hot chocolate. Um, yes, I mean, we keep 40% of our work for education. So we, we're working with principals or schools. And, and then the next day, we'll be working with a corporate organisation. And the next day, working with youngsters. And yeah. there's a beautiful thing about it that, you know, the. <laughs> the, the the people that I love 
um, uh, uh, you know, Robert Zimmerman, the great philosopher, um, otherwise known as Bob Dylan, said, I've dined with kings and done a thousand things and never been too impressed. You know, we've, we've worked with folk, you've worked with folks. Gary, you know folk, they've won gold medals or they've been, they've been heroes, they've been given trophies. Um, but what really counts is how they show up as a human being. You know, how they are as a human being with you in their behaviour on a daily basis. So there's a thing for kids to look at where were they yesterday and have they got a little bit better today? Our kids are going into a far more complex world than we ever went into, Robbo, but uh, Mm. they need time with nature, they need time with natural play, they need to be able to make mistakes, slip over, hurt themselves and pick themselves up again. Mm. And a lot of our kids aren't getting that chance anymore, sadly. Um, So... A little bit more nature, a little bit more natural play, and a little bit of chance to tackle some things that you're not so good at and see how you go yeah. is, is a wonderful yeah. way to go. Absolutely. It's a good conversation, isn't it? Mm, definitely. Hey, um, Cap, I, um, on the education part and the learning part, um, I've often spoken about journaling. I'm, I'm a massive believer in it. I've seen you at gigs we've done together and you've got your journal out, your coloured pens on the wall of this office down in New Zealand in Auckland that had the big cap map on the wall with your learnings. Just can you tell me your philosophies on journaling, note-taking and how you do it, why you think it's so important? Gary, it's been one of the um, most important things in my life. I've, I've got journals from going back to when I was 11, 12 years of age. I've always had a, a blank page journal that I would scribble words in and draw pictures in. Um, And it's different ways of learning for different folk. Um, My brother Gary is three years older than me and um, everything he's ever gone into is turned into um, a successful business. Um, Yet Gary is dyslexic. Um, When it comes to reading and writing, he really struggled and really struggles. That's why I loved it when I got to interview Sir Richard Branson and and other dyslexic folk who got different ways of going about things. My different way was that my mind is really quick. In fact, it's too quick sometimes. So in a classroom, the teacher would be teaching and I'd be, um, for me to stay involved, I would need to um, be taking notes, writing words, drawing pictures based on what the teacher was saying, drawing pictures of what it would inspire to me. But sadly, at high school, I got kicked out of four classrooms for drawing my little pictures because they thought I was just mucking around. Um, and I didn't have enough courage or belief in myself in those days to be able to stand up and say, listen, this keeps me involved in learning. These, these little drawings and things, let me explain them to you. But as, as life went on and I did gain that confidence, I saw that for me it was a, a very valid way of learning. So... And it's not just me. When we ran our youth program for seven years, we would teach kids how to do visual note-taking. And now with, with corporate CEOs, I'll still teach them that the power of this historical um, uh, thing called a pen, um, to have crayons in your hand, um, to use symbols and drawings, and you don't have to be a great artist to do it. If you can draw circles and squiggly lines, then you can do visual note-taking. And it's a way of capturing information so if I read a book, I'll summarise it in my visual note-taking with little drawings and keywords and a few sentences. Um, every presentation I do, we find a way to uh, get visual note-taking to flow into that so the participants are very active learners in what they're doing. 
It, uh, there's no one learning strategy that works for 100% of people in 100% of a way, but a visual note taking can work quite beautifully for, for people, for a majority of people, and it's one of the, um, the very necessary things to have in, in your mix of learning, I, I think. And for me, I keep, uh, I keep revisiting the journals. That's the other thing. Keep re- going back to them and going, because there's so much that slips from our repertoire you know, uh, it's good stuff, but we, we stop using it for some reason. But when we revisit it, we go, oh, yeah, of course. And for me, a visual note-taking journal is a beautiful way to see how my life has ebbed and flowed and grown as things have gone along. There's gold in them there hills there, brother. That's gold. Can we um, just move on to creativity here, Cap? Um, I know you are close to some Russian brothers. Uh, there were three of them and their cousin. Can you talk about the, uh, the Russian brothers? Uh, very, very, um, very happy with my three Russian brothers and their slightly mad cousin. Um, there's a couple of things we've come up with over the years that have really caught on and get used by a lot of folk. Um, and we're very pl- proud to say that the school teachers who use the three Russian brothers and their cousin to help students write better essays there's CEOs who use the three Russian brothers and their slightly mad cousin to look at any problem or or uh, opportunity that they've got in their business. Um, and it, it, it's my way, I guess, in visual note-taking, you try to convert one form of learning into another. So I was mucking around with this and um, uh, I was thinking that sometimes we get smarter by doing a bit more of and Morov, to me, sounded like a Russian brother. So Morov, if you say it in a funny voice. So, well, you know, in your health program, what is it you could do a bit more of? If you're running around the block for 20 minutes but you could do 25 and go uphill, then that's a Morov. You know, what has this essay got that's really good that we could do a bit more of? Um, me as a leader, what do I need to be doing more of, in your opinion? And then... But the trouble is that um, Banana Rama had a song years ago that only you know, people like you and I would be old enough to remember, Gary, with, you know, more, more, more. So we tend to be a society that's good at more of, but um, maybe the second Russian brother we need to get a bit more happening, which is less of. You know, how. Can I be smarter by doing less of something? Can uh, this essay be better by doing less of something? Me as a leader, what do I need to be doing less of? And then the third Russian brother is Riddov. Um, David Perkins, when he saw this model at the World Thinking Conference in Kuala Lumpur, he said, he said, ah, you know, I think we're good at more of, but less of and rid of, we're not so good at. Mm. So how do we do rid of? What do we shed in our life? And and when we have to shed something, um, how do we do it? Um, you know, we've, we've been lousy at uh, how we get rid of footy coaches, um, how we get rid of our prime ministers we're not real good at. Um, so when you have to get rid of something, um, how you front up and do that. And also to know that, you know, there's a lot of superfluous stuff in our lives. Yeah. And then the, the mad cousin, his name is Tosin. So what new stuff do we need to toss into the brew? Um, what new element of thinking or action does this um, project require? You know, some organisations do their 360-degree feedback and, and it's, it's, it's anxiety-provoking in some ways. But if you do the Russians, you can get the same result as long as you're using a funny voice 
Um, there's no threat to it. And, and indeed, Gary, you know, every presentation we do, we should look at it and go, okay, that was pretty good, but what how, if it, What did I need to do a bit more of? What did I need to do a bit less of? What do I need to get rid of? Uh, what do I need to toss into the brew? That, um, that is gold. And, uh, Cap, we are going to give people a quick chance to take those notes down and take a quick break. We're with Glenn Capelli, who's a learning innovation creativity expert. We've just talked about the three Russian brothers and the mad cousin. So much great stuff coming out of this. We're going to give you a chance to take a couple of quick notes, take this quick break and come back. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town He's making a list, he's taking it twice He's gonna find out who's naughty and nice Santa Claus is coming to town Santa Claus is coming to town So, Kat, the, 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 the Russian brothers that you were just talking about, for me, um, translates even back to the rugby team, you know, to each individual player. You know, what can I do more of? What do I need less of? And all the rest of it. It's really sort of, it's, it's not just a personal thing. It can translate into all sorts of things, can't it? I, I had a, um, uh, a thing sent through to me from an old student of mine, and they reminded me that we used to do an activity that was pretty well similar to the Russians. I'd write a letter to each student, a handwritten letter to every student I taught, and then they would write a letter back to me and they would uh, assess how I was going as a teacher, how they were going as a student, and how they thought the class was going as a classroom. Um, and it's uh, the same, you know, we, we'll get people to use the in an organisation. We'll go, okay, just run through the Russians for yourself in your own performance and then run through the Russians in regards to your uh, the whole organisation. Mm. Uh, and same in a team, you know, you, your players should be able to assess themselves in a in a fun way, but in in a uh, in a good category way of um, you know, oh, I could be better in my position if I did more of this and less of this. But they can also make reflections on the team, uh, the team as a whole, or you as the coach, and it just gives permission for a conversation. Um, and we think it's a it's a less threatening conversation than some of the other conversations, but it still gets to a, a beautiful result. Uh, it's once you've agreed upon, okay, well, these are the actions we now need to take. One less of, one more of, one rid of, and, and one toss in from here on in, we're going to use the Russians um, as a toss in for each time we have a team meeting. It's a, such a good point, Robert, you raise, because um, whether it be an under 11 rugby team, I've got a board meeting tomorrow, and at the end of a board meeting, generally it, the board leaders or chairs have been mm. taught to evaluate the meeting. But what a great way to finish a board meeting by saying for the next board meeting, what do we need more of? What, what do we need less of? What do we need to get rid of? Um, and more importantly, I think for a lot of the meetings, board meeting sessions is um, what do we need to toss in? So I, I think as a format, that um, that is terrific, Cap. I, I, I'm so appreciative of you sharing that with us. I um, Mate, if you are looking at the creative process in business today and uh, Alex Osborne and Sid Parnes invented brainstorming back in the 60s and there wouldn't be a minute go by where somewhere in the world a team, an organisation, a company, a brand is not doing what they call a brainstorm. 
In your experience with all the stuff we've talked about right now, what would you say immediately you could do to make the general brainstorm better in any organization? Because it happens in every company, every day they're happening. What would you see in your experience as being the immediate improvements people could generally make to their brainstorm? Great question, Gary. And it's, um, you know, pe- people will often say to me, Capella, give us a strategy, give us a strategy. And I'll say, listen, I can give you a bucket load of strategies, but they don't work. And, and I say, well, no, let me rephrase that. Strategies only work given a certain context. So before we look at a strategy, we've got to look at the context and that's why, you know, in most of my business work, um, we look at uh, what we call five alive, so shining the limelight in five areas. But it starts with your area of, of character, really, your culture. You know, what are you about and how are you about that? And then it's the kind of conversations you have and then the strategies you use plus the methodology and then the systems. But a strategy like a brainstorm um, or any kind of communication really only works if there's trust and respect. You know, you've got to have trust and respect and openness and people not threatened by being able to offer ideas and bouncing ideas. And um, without that, then you'll have a meeting that withholds information, people who tell their buddy what they really think when they're leaving the meeting rather than sharing or point scoring. So a lot of organisations will say that something like brainstorming doesn't work. It's not that it doesn't work. It's that they, first of all, haven't addressed that they've got really good, open and honest, robust conversation done out of trust and respect for each other um, where you can rock each other's boat and at the end of the day go, that was a fantastic meeting, that's great. So it really is about addressing that foundational culture thing first the second thing with it, with any brainstorm is that often the black and white thinking comes in too early. You know, you want to have scepticism, you want to have um, data and facts, but you don't want to bring it in at the beginning of a creative idea. Um, first of all, you've got to let the creativity breathe and innovation breathe, and then you need to go, okay, let's as a group work out where this could go wrong. Let's as a group look at practical applications. Let's look at some of the things that might stop it from happening that we can overcome that in the first place. So um, that, that good openness and, and, and then to be good at your skillful scepticism later on in, in the idea process. Beautiful. If an individual is listening to this and they're going, I'd like an immediate tip that I could implement into my world to help me unlock better ideas, more ideas, more effective ideas. What would you say be your top tip for creativity in in this day and age right now? Uh, the, the number one thing for me is um, we wrote an um, innovation program that we carried throughout uh, Asia for a particular organisation and, and their view of innovation was that, you know, let's come up with a new iPod, let's come up with the next iPad, let's come up with the next big thing. And I said, that's great, but that's only one of the things in the brew. What I first of all want you to do is to have a creative mindset for life. So what are you going to do tomorrow that would surprise your kids in a, in a really positive and pleasant way? What, what are you going to do tomorrow that will be a lovely little customer surprise for your partner in life? Um, what, what would be something that's a little bit different, a little bit innovative that uh, would bring a smile to somebody's face? So if you can take that sort of mindset on a daily basis, and, and um, I, I worked with Edward de Bono at a conference in Canada many years ago, and I said to him, um, Edward, 
you write so much, you present so much, do you still get a time to read? And he said, oh, yes, I read randomly and I read broadly. And I said, well, how do you read randomly? And he said, we all get stuck in our own way of seeing things. So how I read randomly is I'll ask somebody that I'm walking past, oh, what's that book you're reading? And uh, they'll tell me the title and then I'll go and read it. Um, it's the only way to be able to get out of the, the rut that we set for ourselves. So my creative tip is to find a little bit of why zen, a little bit of how else on a daily basis. If you're used to reading fiction, read a bit of non-fiction. If you're only reading non-fiction, read a bit of fiction. If you're only reading adult novels, read a kid's book. If you're only reading things to your kids, then then find out how that message that's going through to the kids in a kid's book can be applied at a business level. Um, you find daily ways to stretch yourself in a little bit of how else and the big ideas then will take care of themselves. That's interesting, Caps. I've got two questions there. The first one um, I'll throw at you is you just mentioned wide Zen. Is wide Zen different to Kaizen? Kaizen is that beautiful Japanese philosophy of uh, living life, looking for constant improvement, gracefully, gently, looking for tiny little how betters. So Kaizen is very much about how better, and I love how better. We can do just about everything better than what we're doing. At, um, but sometimes if you're only Kaizening, you might be Kaizening an idea that's not the best idea in the first place. So the other kind of thinking, the 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 other part of the helix is uh, along with the how better is how else. So wide zen, if Kaizen is sharpening the crayon you're using, wide zen is using a different crayon. And often innovation requires the wide zen. How else? How, how should we go about this? Um, if I had to present this idea to a group of people who were unsighted, who were blind, how would I present the idea? If I had to present this idea to people who were sighted but were deaf um, and couldn't hear, how would I present the idea? So it gets us to, to tap into a different methodology, a different way of seeing the world. And it's that really, if you wanted the trilogy, it's how better, how else and what if um, are the great questions to be asking. In the last year, Cap, which book have you read that's had the most profound effect on you? Oh, they, it's, it's, Gary, they asked me once to go on radio for an hour and talk about the eight most influential songs in my life, and it took me about a year to add list after list after list. So <laughs> even looking at one book in the, in the last few years, and so let me answer in this way. Um, one would be that I've... Uh, started to I came, happened upon an Australian novelist by the name of Joan London, and Joan London has written a book called The Good Parents. She's written another novel um, recently called The Golden Age, and she writes with poetry. Now, most of the CEOs I work with would never ever pick up a Joan London novel, but they should. So I encourage them to have to persevere with um, this beautiful poetic imagery of a Joan London. Um, interestingly enough, in one of her books, The Good Parents, um, she's got some very dodgy brothers in there and they're the Capelli brothers. And um, <laughs> I just uh, wonder where she met me and my brother. But anyway, it's uh, but so uh, yeah, Joan London. Um, secondly, there's, um, there's a book out there called Sapiens, S-A-P-I-E-N-S. Sapiens is a very deep read about the whole history of the planet. And one of the things that I picked up in Sapiens is he says that um, the best invention that we do as, as homo sapiens, as, as human beings, is that we invented fiction. 
Um, and why that's a great invention is because up to about 150 people, you can hold them together um, by your behaviour and by the conversations you'll have with each other as you bump into each other. But if your community, if your organisation, if your team gets more than 150 people, you can't be held together by example. You can only be hold to, held together by story. So what's your story? Uh, what's your aboutness? What's your fiction? So it's fiction and creating uh, that fiction that actually binds us together. It's, it's uh, the, you know, Van Morrison wrote the song Into the Mystic. It's the mystical things in life that bind us together. It's the story. So Sapiens is a very deep nonfiction read. Joan London is a, a very good fiction read. And, uh, yeah, and, but just pick up a newspaper and go through and, and think, okay, if I had to find some learning in this morning's newspaper, what would that learning be? So whatever you read, approach it from a learning mindset. We will put all those books and uh, the myriad of different songs and artists you've talked about, Cap, we'll put them in the uh, show notes for those people who are driving and not able to take notes right now. We'll... Um, We'll put everything through in the show notes. You just click through to it. Um, I think we'll need to build this show its own website, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> um, Robbo, um, do you remember this song? Do you remember who sang it, Robbo? Do you remember that song? That was Chumbawamba. It was Chumbawamba. And you've got uh, a story behind Chumbawamba, Cap. Can you um, can you just give us a, a, the background to why that is so important for you? I'm glad you guys know Chumbawamba. I, I'll put the word up on the screen when I'm presenting and say, yeah, are you familiar with this word? And people come up with all kinds of things and then uh, somebody will say, oh, it's a band and they are a one-hit wonder. Um, they started as uh, three blokes in a squat in Leeds in the early 1980s and they saw in the community meeting hall there was a musical meeting on and you could get free tea and coffee and the hall was warm. <laughs> so they went across the road and the bloke said, before we start the meeting, I'd just like to ask, is there anyone in the room who might be in a band? Now, these three guys were English, they were from Leeds, but they could have been Australian because they look at each other and go, oh, yeah, yeah, let's pretend we're in a band. So they put up their hand. The guy says, what's the name of the band? And he says, Chimp Eats Banana. Now, somehow Chimp Eats Banana managed to morph into Chumbawamba because two weeks after the meeting, the guy who ran the meeting found them and said, uh, went to their squat, knocked on their door and said, I've got good news for you. I've got uh, Chimp Eats Banana. I've got you a gig. Now, any normal human being would say, oh, sorry, the band has disbanded now, we're no longer together. But this guy said, oh, fantastic. And he said, yeah, two weeks' time. Now, none of them played a musical instrument. <laughs> but they were pretty good at spruiking and they had a couple of mates that could do a bit of percussion and a bit of strings. So they went out on stage and they started the spruik. And Chumbawamba teach me how to write a song and they teach us how to learn because mm. every song they do, whether it's I get knocked down but I get up again, um, Tub Thumper, their, their big hit, they take, in that song, for example, they take an old English drinking song, I get knocked down but I get up again, they blend it with a beautiful piece of original orchestral and then they throw in Danny Boy, the revolutionary song. So they're always mixing a variety of flavours. They're always mixing a variety of styles and you can listen to the song at one level, it's just a fun song, but you listen to it a second time and it gets stuck in your brain, you listen to it a third mm. time 
and you realise there's a whole philosophy in this song. So they educate um, through layers and blends and mixes, and that's what we do and what innovation's all about. It's how we blend things, how we mix it and how we get the mix right. Knowing when to hold them, knowing when to fold them, knowing when to walk away, knowing when to run. Uh, a bit of Kenny Rogers. That's, that's a great track too. Um, we're going to yeah. uh, wrap up now. I've got two, two quick things to ask you, um, Cap. Do you have a, a, a morning or a daily ritual that's a non-negotiable for you? Um, movement. Um, is uh, just making sure in, in my early days I used to run a lot. Um, I got no knees left due to Australian Rules 40 and marathon running. So these days uh, I walk a lot. So get up and move um, no matter what um, is, is part of that ritual. And secondly, somewhere along the day, in the day, and it may not be the first thing of the day, it may be the last, to have an appreciation list that I just run through. You know, learn to be thankful in life. Be thankful for the fact that we live where we live, we can breathe the air that we breathe, um, be thankful for the relationships I've got. And, and somehow that keeps us very grounded, um, you know, and I think they're important things to do in life. If we, if we forget to be thankful or lose our thankfulness, and if we, you know, if we can move, then to move and uh, be thankful for our mobility and to actually use our mobility, um, uh, they're, they're beautiful things. That's very profound, mate. And uh, my last question, I, I, Cap, the last probably six months I've been really, I've always journaled, uh, but I wrote a blog I think last week that posed the question, is paper back? Because there seems to be a growing trend back towards beautiful journals, beautiful pens, note-taking. Um, and I'm just interested because you are such a fan of journaling. Do you have a favourite brand or type of journal that you use? I um, always work to a blank page and I'm particularly fond of the Windsor and Newton visual diaries. Um, so uh, I might work in A4 or I might, usually I'll work in A4 size, but uh, a little Windsor and Newton art diary, um, visual blank. And uh, Pen-wise, I, I, um, I work with the Artline Fax Black and then I've got uh, a variety of uh, felt tip and a variety of crayons. And for me, it's kind of important, the materials that I use. Uh, one of my mates that Australia knows well, Maxie Walker, he does all of his writing still with an ink fountain pen. And it just, writing that way helps him think in a certain way. Me using my, that, that paper and the pen and, and uh, lovely to hear that, uh, you're a journaler yourself, Gary. Here's a question for a, a journaling virgin. What sort of stuff are we writing down here? Are we just writing down random thoughts, um, ideas that occur to us, things that have happened to us? Is that what we're writing down? Certainly for me, I, I do that, but also because I spend my life in conferences and um, there'll be speakers before me or after me or if I'm theme weaving, emceeing a conference, a whole variety of speakers, mm. then I take notes on not only what they're saying, but I take notes on methodology, their way of saying it. Right. And I also take notes on whatever it inspires in me. So I'll have little symbols that might go, geez, there's a phrase they use that could be great in a song. Mm. Um, gee, oh, they referenced a book and I'll have a little symbol that I'll then go and find that book and, and therefore read the book. Okay. So, um, you know, little, little, it's really the content of life and the methods of life, I guess, Robbo. Mm. Anything and everything then pretty much by the yeah, sounds of things. For me, yes, yeah. 
Yeah. It's very interesting, Robbo. We, um, we're going to get somebody on the show, hopefully. It's a guy who invented bullet journaling. Mm. And it's something my wife has taken on. And he was a guy who worked in, I think, the ad industry and wanted a way for him to process his day to empty his brain of stuff to do. And he developed this methodology and his friends got onto it. So he did a YouTube clip which took off. So that's a way of doing it. And my wife uses it to clear out her brain. Um, others use it, and I, and I agree with Cap, I use it in exactly the same way as Cap for, for capturing stories. And I think that we are storytellers and it's a really good way to do it. And one thing that's interesting for me, Cap, regardless of how you use it, and I, and I love that thought of being able to look back through your journals and see where your thinking was in a moment of time, which is what Josh Pike, the songwriter, talked about. He said he can look back and see what he was thinking and when. But I have found, my wife gave me a Midori journal out of Japan, which is a leather-bound journal, which has got these inserts into it, and it's become its, its own subculture. And it's for me to carry with me at all times, and it's, it's beautiful, it's functional. But what I find, Cap, is that by having the journal, it makes me want to write more, it makes me want to create, it makes me want to capture things as opposed to seeing things and letting it go. Do you, do you find that by having it, it, with having a nice journal, it makes you want to listen more, look more and really see and hear? Yeah, it's beautifully put. It's, it's um, the blank page invites you to add elements to the blank page. The, yeah, it teaches you a way to be looking for things in life that could be, oh, geez, that's interesting. And it, you don't have to know what the purpose or outcome of that thing you're capturing is. Um, so sometimes it's, uh, you know, it just, if you travel where you live as if you're a traveller, you see things that you don't normally see. And the journal helps you to see things, I think. That's beautiful. Mm, that's great. Um, Cap, I'm going to, um, to let you get on with your day. I, I just didn't, oh, I, I didn't want to leave the show without um, just talking briefly about the book you wrote called Thinking Caps. Um, we had a, a guest on the show who's a mate of yours and he did a forward at the front of the book and I think it says everything about why, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes as to why people should look up this book. Um, the book is called Thinking Caps and, and Matt Church, who's a mate of our Up The Mojo radio show, said, Thinking Caps captures with grace and humility what I've come to admire in the man, depth, sensitivity, humour and a vulnerable strength. He goes on, but I've got to say that, mate, um, this interview has been exactly what the book is all about. It's a beautiful book. It's got so many great nuggets. And one that I've taken out that I'm just going to give you a chance to finish with is uh, a value that Glyn Watkins, one of your great heroes, left with you. And he had a quote, if you allow it, you teach it. And it's short, it's simple. To me, it's provocative. What, what does that quote mean to you, mate, that makes it so special? I think Loudon Rainwright wrote a song that his son Rufus recorded and said, work out what you stand for and what you cannot stand. Um, Glyn Watkins was such a, a wise and beautiful man. He was a, the principal of the school that I had to interview for to, before I was able to teach there in my first years of teaching. Uh, Wanneroo Senior High School, hand-picked staff, government school, and one day he took me and the other first year out teachers and he said, let's go for a walk. He was big on going for a stroll. You know, you'd go for a stroll and he, we walked up to the top oval at Wanneroo Senior High School and it was only then that he said, if we allow it, we teach it. And we all looked at him and said, well, that's great, boss. What's it mean? 
And he said, if you're out on lunch duty and, and you're, you're running a bit late to get back to class and you, you go past some students that are bullying some other student and you think, I'm going to pretend I didn't see that, then you've just taught bullying. If somebody's throwing litter on the ground and you think, I'm too tired to have this conversation yet again, you've just taught littering. And I said, if we allow it, we teach it. Um, pretty well, the standard we walk past is the standard we accept, is what BHP Billiton and others say. But it's that thing, you know, if we allow it, we teach it. Sometimes we just got to speak up and speak out um, to, to go, this is what we're on about um, and uh, let it be known. You know, what do you stand for as a human being? What is your essential aboutness? What is your quiddity? Walk the talk. Walk the talk. I walk the line. So we're back to Johnny Cash. That's good. <laughs> We've come full circle. <laughs> If we could only get a Ramones reference in there, we'd be right. Well, it's a circle, it's a <laughs> ring of fire, perhaps. So. And Sheena was a punk rocker. There you go. And then I got a story for you, Cap, to finish up. We let you go. Um, I was at a school in rural New South Wales this morning. There are only 70 children and three teachers. And the principal at assembly was so excited because yesterday she taught the children how the ear worked. And the children learnt that the ear is more than just the ear, but the ear is the ear that captures. There's a whole bunch of instruments inside the ear before it gets to the brain. And she had the children act out in drama how the ear captures it. It goes in through the drum, then through the anvil, then through the little hairs. They all vibrate and the brain picks it up. And she called it drama-based learning. And as I was leaving just this morning, I said to her, it was beautiful. Even the parents learnt more about the ear than they had ever known. And I said, where did you learn that from? She said, a number of years ago, a guy called Glenn Capelli spoke to our, our teaching group. And she said, I'd forgotten about it until yesterday afternoon. I sat down and went, how am I going to teach the children about this thing? So it was ironic that you should talk, you should finish our little show with teaching and it was ironic this morning that she should credit you. So you, you're just making huge, huge impact on people in education and the corporate world and individuals. So Cap, thank you so much mm. for uh, joining our show, mate. It's, uh, it's such a privilege to have you on. You've just given us gold upon gold. What do you reckon, Robbo? There's more than gold in them there hills, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Robbo and, and Gary, thank you very much. And Gary, thank you for that little story. There, there's nothing that brings a smile to my face and a tear to my eye um, as, as beautifully as that. So if you're back in touch with that school, please uh, give them a huge thank you and hug from me. Will do. My favourite thing to have for Christmas lunch would have to be the turkey. McDonald's. Yeah. Big Mac milk. Oh, it's Cream of oyster soup, and it must have croutons in it. Fresh prawns. Lasagna. Roast lamb. Uh, rabbit. It's got to be rabbit. <laughs> Christmas lunch prawns. The traditional turkey and Christmas pudding. Potato salad. Mom's apple pie. The Mojo Radio Show. Do you know what? Not just the content of that, but just the whole vibe of that interview has just increased my Christmas mojo by 10%. That, that whole pretty, chat was yeah. just so upbeat and, you know, it's just put me in such a good mood. And, you know, when you meet Cap um, face-to-face and you spend time with him, mm. he 
is one of those guys that is just centered and he's mm. calm, he's mm. reflective, mm. super intelligent, oh. has got a thousand stories. Yeah. He can play guitar, he can sing poetry, mm. he's colorful. He, he just makes, he just gets your mojo working. Yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, and how cool are the Russian brothers and the and their cousin? That's fantastic. <laughs> there are I mean, the show notes um, this week. The things we cover are pretty pretty deep, <laughs> to say the least. Might as well just so, transcribe um, the whole show. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, he's very very cool. He's yeah. got this uh, the wonderful song that I I urge people to look up on YouTube, which we'll put a link to called "Are You Okay?" Mm. and in light of all that's gone on the last couple of weeks, that um, that statement has really resonated with me to, um, you know, make a call to a mate and go, you okay? That's all. Yeah. Just just that enough, you know, according to Tim Sharp from the Happiness Institute, just that alone is enough to uh, to change someone's day mm. and help them get their mojo back. Mm. And now's a good time to do it this time of year when we're, uh, we're reflective and pondering and dreaming. And... Um, Robert, what I was thinking for next week's show, uh, mm. I've got a couple of people in mind who are just, you know, ordinary people who had a dream and have now built themselves really extraordinary lifestyles and they're blissfully happy at what they're doing because they're chasing their dreams and living their dreams. Mm. This time of the year always is a good time to reflect. And I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions. I'm talking about seriously sitting down and, holding your loved ones and pondering what the future next year and the years after look like. What do you reckon we do a show on um, sort of, you know, saving some time for dreams? We, uh, we don't do enough of that. Mm. So I'll hook some guys up. That'll be our, mm. uh, our Christmassy show to sort of finish the year off. Um, and I think, uh, so we'll do that. I'll, I'll get onto a couple. Mm. Try to um, I, 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 probably have something to do with coffee would be good. <laughs> So I'm thinking tiger snakes. Tiger snakes, yeah, something mm, like that. Mm. Tiger snake. I think Fish you might have someone in mind. Snake. Actually, I'll ring Pete Harrison and try yeah, and get him on. I think that would be All a right, good idea. You know where I'm going Done. with that. <laughs> yeah, and we need some samples. <laughs> that's right, please. <laughs> yeah, we, we won't be able to do the show unless we've tasted it, Pete. You'll have to send some samples. <laughs> do we know anybody in a brewery? Yeah, that's next. Actually, I do, I do know a guy in a brewery. We'll have to get on to him right, as well. There you go. Get onto it before right, Christmas. Done. Get it sorted. Sort of. So this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over. And you won't just be gone. So I reckon that just about wraps up the show, not just for uh, for this week, but just about for the year, guys. It's Christmas time. It is, and uh, have a uh, mojo good Christmas, boys. You too, mate, and to your family as well. Absolutely. Mm. Have a great Christmas. A uh, question for you, though, guys. Why mm. do they call them mm. mince pies when there's no meat in them? I'd like to know that too. Fruit mince pies. Yeah. Mm. 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 Wacky. You can't beat a good pork pie, though. I love a pork pie. And I tell you something about beef tea. It's very good if you're a bit uh, queasy in the tummy after you've had a few too many on Christmas Day. The next day you wake up feeling a bit, wee, hello, have Mm. some beef tea. You know what's even better than that? A kebab with extra hummus. (laughs) No, that's about three in the morning. I'm talking about later in the day. I would say that judging by your voice, AP, that you've started your Christmas cheer early. (laughs) It never ends in my house. Every day's Christmas. Because there is gravel in them, their throat tonsil notes. All right, gents. Time to go. Have a Merry Christmas. We're out. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks, AP. Cheers, mate. 
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.